0: So when you think of all the popular brands out there, the different items and things that are produced, you know there's a factory somewhere producing those items, right? And so you would expect that if you were to go to any of those factories, well, that would be what was produced. For instance, if you go to a Nike factory, uh, what do you expect to see? Shoes, right? You, You go to an Apple factory, what do you expect to see? Well, electronics, computers, iPhones, things like this. You go to a Ford factory, what do you expect to see? Some trucks, some vehicles, things like that. You know by the factory you go to, what's going to be produced. In the sense there's people factories too, right? I mean, you go to a law school and what do you expect to see produced? Lawyers, right? You go to a dance studio, what do you expect to see produced? Dancers. You go to some boot camp or something, what do you expect to see produced? Soldiers. I mean, you just know, okay, this is what's gonna come out of this. Now, with anything, there's some defects, right? Some items that get kind of discarded or some people who don't make the cut or whatever. But for the most part, you know what's going to be produced. Now, if you think of the church building as a factory, what do you expect to see produced from the people who come here, right? I believe what we should expect to see are equipped disciple makers and You know, since we're empowered by Jesus, we probably should be like the most effective factory on the planet, right? People who come to the church, man, they are out as equipped disciple-makers. Sometimes, though, that's not really the case, right? And there's a couple reasons for this. One, uh, you trace it back, really— to Constantine, when he legalized Christianity, then what happened in some ways was the ecclesia, the called out people of God, became replaced with the Kirka, that is the church building. And so we tend to conceptualize church as a building rather than a people. And so with the institutional power of the church building comes power, authority, authority, Rules, regulations, and at the start of it all, they wanted to keep all that, and so they kept the Bible primarily for themselves, and you just got to listen to somebody else tell it to you. Then the Reformation happens, and in the first Reformation, what happens? The Bible is restored to the people. It's given back to the people in their own language. They can read it, and they can understand it. Now, all this time, God has been building his church. This is his Ecclesia, his called out people of God, but In some ways, what the church has produced has not necessarily been equipped disciple makers, but sometimes the church has produced other things, right? Like Sunday morning attenders, uh, Bible studiers, people of prayer. These aren't bad things, but they're just not the one thing that the church is called to produce, who are called to raise up. And so as we wrap up our series, Defining a Disciple, we wanted to spend some time and make sure that we were really clear on just who a disciple is. And just as a reminder, we, we came up with a definition based on what Jesus said when he first called his disciples, and then what he said to them as he commissioned his disciples when he was leaving. So when he first called his disciples, he says, follow me. Now they've been with him for about three years, and then as he's leaving and he's commissioning them, What are they doing? Well, they're worshiping him. Because they understand who Jesus is. And he's worthy of all our worship. So they're worshiping him. And so what do we say? We say a disciple is one who worships Jesus daily. And then as Jesus, as he's first calling his disciples, he's saying, I'm going to make you. There's going to be this change that takes place. And as he's commissioning them, when he's leaving them, he's giving them instructions. It's not like they've arrived yet and they know everything. He's still still making them. He's still forming them. Some are even still doubting. And so what do we say a disciple is? One who is consistently changed by Jesus because we recognize that none of us have fully arrived yet. None of us fully and perfectly display the image of God. We're all image bearers of God, but we all display that image imperfectly, so we're still in process. A relationship with God, being a disciple, is a dynamic process, not a static thing that you arrive at. And then lastly, Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then as he commissions them at the end, What does he say? Now go, fish fish for men, essentially. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them. Here's what you do. And so what do we say? Well, a disciple is increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. So you put it all together, and you get a disciple is one who worships Jesus daily, is consistently being changed by Jesus, and is increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, our hope and prayer is that that is a definition that really just sticks into your heart and your mind, and you know it, and you say, "Okay, this is what I'm about." You know, sometimes you come up with these definitions and things like that, and mission statements or something, and they're really cool to put like on a bulletin board or a flyer or something like that. And you walk by them, you say, "Oh yeah, that's cool. That sounds." No, no, we don't, we don't. want this to be something that we just look at and say, "Oh, that's nice." No, no, we want this to define who we are, because as the church, this is who we should be producing. Disciples who are really equipped disciple-makers. And you understand, at the birth of the church, this is the type of church that Jesus equipped. And you see it in Acts chapter 2. I want you to see it this morning, that this idea of being an equipped disciple-maker, it's everyday discipleship. It's in the everyday stuff of life. Let's go ahead, and check it out. The birth of the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So just saying, uh, we're jumping right to the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, okay? So we're right at the end. Now, Pentecost, uh, it literally means 50th, okay? It's celebrated 50 days after Easter. It was the fulfillment—by the way, Jesus' coming fulfilled all, all sorts of Old Testament festivals, and his second coming will fulfill the ones that haven't been fulfilled yet— and so in his first coming, when then you get Pentecost, Pentecost fulfills the festival of weeks, okay, or the festival of harvest. And that festival celebrated the first wheat harvest of the year. And so here we are, the birth of the church, the, the Holy Spirit depending uh, descending upon the church. And basically, it's the first harvest of the church. It's the beginning of the church. So that's what you're celebrating at Pentecost. It's the beginning of the church, the birth of the church. It fulfills the Old Testament festival of weeks. And so, as Peter's preaching, he, get, he gets to this point, and he, and he tells the people, and there are people from all over, and he lets them know, hey, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And they hear this, and they interrupt Peter's sermon, okay? It's like he's right in the middle of a message, and they hear it, and they're saying, well, then what do we do? I mean, you gotta tell us, what do we do? We believe, yeah, he's Lord in Christ, but what do we do with that? You understand, preaching, just as a little aside, preaching always calls for application, okay? You preach so that people would do something. You can't go to any sermon in any of Scripture and find a sermon that doesn't call people to action. That's the purpose of preaching, Teaching is different. The primary purpose of teaching is that people would know something, right? So they would learn something. It's not that they never do or that in preaching you never learn. It's just the primary purpose for preaching is doing. The primary purpose for teaching is knowing, okay? And so here Peter is. He hasn't even got to the application yet. He hasn't even told them what to do, But they're so convinced of who Jesus is. They're saying, Peter, just tell us what to do already. Like, we want to know. Okay, we believe. He's Lord in Christ. Okay, what do we do? And Peter tells them. He says, okay, here's what you do. You repent. You turn from living for yourself. And now you live for Jesus because you recognize that he is Lord in Christ. And you're baptized. You're identified by the Father, by the Son, by the Spirit Okay, and you go and you tell people because this promise is not just for you. It's for your children. It's for everybody who's far off. This is how you're saved from this crooked generation. This is what you do. And how do they respond? Well, they do it, right? They're excited. So they go. What do you have? You have the birth of the church. It's born. And so now that the church is born, what are they doing? Well, they're studying together, right? They're devoted. The apostles teaching. Okay, we we want to learn more. They're they're feasting. They're they're remembering the sacrifice of Christ through communion. They're praying together. They're doing all these things together. They're meeting together daily. They're eating together. They're celebrating together. They're giving generously to one another, meeting each other's needs. And they're going out and they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And day by day, people are being added to the church. Why? Because the church produced disciple-makers. The church produced equipped disciple makers who are having impact every single day where they live, work, study, and play. They weren't just waiting for, okay, well, next, next week, you know, when we get together again, that's going to be great. No, no, it's daily, daily. I mean, do you see how a relationship with Jesus affects everything? I mean, it affects everything in this passage. It affects who the people are hanging out with, right? They, they might have been doing their own thing before, but now every day, hey, this is who we're going to hang out with. It affects where they gather. Uh, Before, it was simply the temple. Now, yeah, they're still gathering in the temple. They're also meeting in each other's homes. It affects uh, their practices. Now they're taking communion. They're remembering uh, who Jesus is, what he's done. It affects their finances. They're giving generously. It affects uh, their emotions. They're full of joy. They have glad and sincere hearts. There's no more of this fake uh, religious piety anymore. Right, this is genuine, authentic uh, joy and excitement for what God is doing. Changed, all of life is changed by Jesus, and that is effectively what Paul says in Ephesians four. In Ephesians four, Paul says that we should all be built up into the maturity of Jesus Christ. Essentially, where all of life is submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything is changed by Jesus. Every aspect of life is changed. By Jesus, because life isn't about you anymore. It's all about him. And so he says, here's what your agenda is. Here's who you are. Here's what you do. And he has the right to ask for that because he's God. Because he's Lord. And Paul says that our job and our desire is to present everyone fully complete in Christ. To present everyone fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so... (laughs) That's a big task, right? And so you start thinking, okay, how does my discipleship practices result in that? Where I'm presenting people who are fully submitted to Jesus Christ in every aspect of life. How are we going to make disciples who are equipped to make other disciples? And so understand, sometimes in the church, instead of making people like that, we've settled for making Sunday morning attenders. We've settled for making Bible studiers. We've settled for making people of prayer. Now, those aren't bad things. Don't, don't, hear me on, don't hear me wrong on that, right? We're commanded to gather together, right? We need this time desperately to be together and to encourage one another and to proclaim together the majesty of who Jesus is. We, we need to be people of prayer, absolutely, who, who are fully dependent upon God for every aspect of life. Yes, we pray in continual conversation with God. We're people devoted to his word, We love his word and we live his word, so we study it and we know it. But if that's all we do, like if it just stops with people who attend on Sundays, who study the Bible and who pray, we still fall woefully short of what we're commanded to do. That is to produce equipped disciple makers. And as you look at the church, the birth of the church, what you see is a church who produced people, who are worshiping Jesus daily, who are consistently being changed by Jesus in all of life, and who are increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus so that they're growing day by day in number. One of the things you have to recognize as this is happening is it's not happening in an hour or two a week, okay? You, you just can't have that kind of impact in an hour or two a week. I hope you understand. It, it takes time, investment in people's lives time and real and just the real situations of life when when the hurts of life kind of bubble up and the worries of life bubble up and the concerns of life bubble up and at the same time the hopes and the dreams and the celebrations and all of that comes out and you're walking beside people and you're saying okay are you have you submitted this to the lord jesus christ and you see areas where they have and you're celebrating with them oh man i can see how you're submitting this area to jesus it is beautiful. What you're doing is great. And I just want to encourage you. And you're seeing other areas. Hey, I've been with you long enough to know. I can tell like, hey, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but this doesn't match what Jesus is saying. I just want to challenge you to give it to him. Allow, allow his grace to cover this. Give it to him. Okay, so, so people are challenged. And listen, if, if you don't have those kind of people in your life, I want you to know there's people here who want, who want to have that kind of relationship with you. I mean, it's kind of one of the reasons why we're making a few tweaks to our, uh, to our ministry structure to make sure that we are, have people in relationship with one another that can have these conversations with each other, the conversations of life that really matter, where we are known and where we know people. And so in order to get involved in everyday discipleship, one of the things that's required that we see— is life on life. Everyday discipleship requires life on life. It's life that's visible. It's life that's accessible. It's life where I just, I can see somebody else living the the life of Christ, where knowledge and emotions and beliefs and all of it, the actions, they're all brought out. You know, when you see Jesus make disciples, you know, he does it in the everyday stuff of life. He doesn't just call the guys and say, hey, uh, let's get together once a week at the synagogue. I, I give you some good lessons, and then we'll meet back again in a week and, you know, see, see how you did. Right? Yeah, it's not that. It's, it's follow me, right? Mark uh, uh, puts it this way in 3.14. He says, Jesus appointed the 12 so that they might be with him, right? It's, it's time with him. What we see in the gospel accounts is people just being with Jesus, And the impact that he makes isn't so much in religious institutional buildings. Yes, he goes to temple, he goes to synagogue, and there's some cool things that happen there. But primarily, it's in the everyday stuff of life, just along the road or in somebody's home or something like that, where the real stuff of life just comes up. And what are the disciples seeing through all this? They're seeing someone who is fully submitted to God, They're seeing what it looks like to truly bear the image of God. You know, one of of the things that Jesus shows us is he shows us who God is, right? To see Jesus, to see the Father. But he also shows us what it looks like to be authentically human. Because Jesus is the picture of how God created his humanity to actually be, actually live. We live marred, stained by sin And so we've confused what it really looks like to be authentically human. Jesus shows us that. He shows us who God is, but he also shows us who we are and how life is supposed to work. And for the life of Christ to be implemented on these guys, now on us, it's not just an hour or two a week. It's not just a a classroom thing, right? It's life. And don't hear me wrong again that like the meeting or the gathering is wrong or that a classroom is wrong. No, 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 There's, there's a need for that. There's a time for for learning, absolutely, but it's not sufficient. It's not sufficient. We also need to be in people's lives enough where we're rubbing off on each other. At the birth of the church, the people are asking Peter, okay, we believe Jesus is Lord and Christ. What do we do? And Peter's response is essentially, you need to have the life of Christ imprinted on you so that you're repenting. You're no longer living for yourself. Now you're living for Jesus. You need to be baptized. You need to be identified as sons and daughters of God. You need to be identified as servants of the one true king, the one who is king of kings and Lord of lords. You need to be identified with the Holy Spirit, the one who empowers you and sends you as everyday missionaries. You need to know who you are. You need the life of Christ to be imprinted on you. And the life of Christ shapes all of life. It shapes, it touches every aspect of life. And so everyday discipleship requires life on life, so that you can just see how it comes up, because real life makes things visible. You know, this, this is great to be challenged, to be encouraged, to come together and proclaim, but it's really hard to see the stuff of life in a setting like this. That's why we need just the life on life. People, they had to learn to follow Jesus, just to be with him, to see uh, the ups and downs and, and go places where they would never go by themselves. And Pete, Paul says that we are now to grow up in every way to him who is the head, Jesus Christ, meaning that you're going to look more and more like him in every aspect of life. And so what do we see and, and at the birth of the church? Well, we see that it changed everything. And by the way, we need to see that today. We need to see what does it look like to have a Christian marriage? What does it look like to parent your kids Christianly? What does it look like to suffer Christianly? What does it look like to steward your finances Christianly? What does it look like to steward your free time Christianly? What does it look like to celebrate Christianly? What, What does it look like to diet Christianly? What does it look like to be a neighbor Christianly, It goes on and on and on to every aspect of life because Jesus touches everything. In order to see that, it's life on life in the real life stuff where the authenticity of life just comes out. But it's not simply life on life. It's also life in community. Everyday discipleship requires life in community. Community. You know, one of the beautiful things about God is he adopts us into a family. A family. The first institution that God created was family. Because we're not meant to live life alone. We're meant to live life with other people. And you say, well, Steve, you've never met my family. Well, one of the beautiful things about God is he kind of reinvents family, you know? If you you come from a great family, great! If you come from a, a, a tough family, a difficult family, hey, you're adopted into a new one, you know? It's great. But, but how do we live in these relationships with, with, uh, in, in this adopted family of God? Well, it takes community. It takes community. Because, listen, if I just go for, like, the one-on-one discipleship approach, and I've got, I've got some guy, and I'm really spending a whole bunch of time with him. It's just me and him, just me and him, all the time me and him. Who is that guy ultimately probably going to look like a lot? Me. Right, He's going to probably come out looking and sounding and talking a lot like me, thinking a lot like me. Who do I want him to look like? Jesus. And in order for him to look like Jesus, he needs the community of faith, not just one. He needs to be in community. where This is what Paul talks about, where he says, hey, we're, we're, we're all members of one body. We've each got a role to play. But if you're only being shaped by the foot— You're probably going to look a lot like the foot. And Paul says, we're being built up into the head, the one who is Jesus Christ. In order for that to happen, we need to be shaped by multiple people in the body. It takes community. By the way, there's also a whole bunch of one another's in the New Testament. It's really hard to live out those one another's when you read through them with just one person. Okay? Some of them you can, some of them get really hard. Okay, it takes community. It takes the family, and this is how Jesus did it, you know? I mean, you look, and Jesus, he, it wasn't just one guy. He calls 12 guys, and then he has a small group of three that he really focused on. He did it in community, and Paul did it in community. He's, he's discipling a team. He's got a missionary team as they're, they're going out. And you say, well, what about Timothy? You know, was, you know Paul had Timothy. Yeah, yeah, but Timothy was part of the team. It wasn't just like Paul and Timothy, like hanging out together all. No, 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 it was part of a team. And so Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he's going to reference all these other people who Timothy knows. And Paul's not saying, hey, I'm the only one who's discipled you. I'm the only one who's made an impact on you. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, remember what you've learned, how your mom discipled you. Remember what you learned and how your grandmother poured into you. Remember these other family members of the faith who've come alongside and shaped you. Yeah, did Paul pour into Timothy and invest in his life? Yes, absolutely. Did he do it primarily one-on-one? No, probably not. And were other people involved in Timothy's discipleship? Yes, most definitely. And the same thing is true for us, you know. We have this same need for people, multiple people, to shape us. I need more than just one person to disciple me. I don't need just one mentor. I I need the family of God. Um... I need to see how they use their spiritual gifts and how they use their spiritual gifts to edify me. And by the way, this is exactly what you see at the birth of the church. The church gathers together to study the Bible together. The church is meeting in each other's homes. They're eating together. They're praying together. They're meeting the needs for one another. They're celebrating together. It's it's all in context of community. If you take community out of it, and you just try to do it one-on-one, chances are you'll make a disciple who looks more like you than like Jesus. And we want everyone to grow up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm not saying that one-on-one conversations are bad. We all need private conversations from time to time. We all need those, someone to pull us aside and just have a one-on-one and kind of challenge us and speak truth in our, we all need that. And Jesus had that. Jesus, he pulled Peter aside from time to time. He had one-on-one conversations with people. Understand, It's not the primary way that discipleship was accomplished. Primarily it was accomplished life in community. So everyday discipleship, it requires life on life and it requires life in community, but it isn't in there. It also requires life on mission. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to teach you these things. Here's, here's what you need to know. Here's the lectures. Here's the course you go through. Go through it, and we can come back, and I'm going to tell you all about the stuff that you're going to do one day, and it's going to be great. No, no, he says, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're, you're going to learn from me as we do mission together, as we live out who you are called to be. And so they get three years of life on mission with Jesus, and that's how they learned to make disciples. That's how they learned, by doing it. it. They learned by doing it. Now, imagine for a moment that you've got to have a fairly serious surgery, okay? And you're lying on the operating table, and the surgeon comes in, and he's got great bedside manner, you know, he's he's friendly, he's warm, he's got a great smile. He's just talking to you, chatting you up and and uh, and you like him. But then you ask, "Hey, how did you become like qualified for this? How many how many of these surgeries have you done? Like how confident are you that this is going to this is going to get the job done? This is going to do what we need to do?" And the guy says, "You know what? I made a 4.0 at med school. You know, I've read all the books." I've taken all the courses and I know them. I could quote you like the different aspects of this procedure back and forth. I know it really well, but the fact of the matter is you're going to be the first one. You know, I've never done it before. I think it's going to go great, uh, but, uh, you know, you're going to be the first one. Yeah. Any of us, what are we doing? We're jumping off of the operating table, right? We're saying, you know, I'll just wait until I can find somebody who's actually done this before, you know, it all in theory but you've never practiced it, you can practice it on somebody else, right? And by the way, you know, in med school, it doesn't work like that. You know, there's an apprenticeship process that they go through, right? They're in the room. They're seeing how it's done. Then they're doing with people there to kind of guide them and help them. And, you know, you're under supervision before you're actually a surgeon released to do this. So they don't do it like that. And we said, well, of course they don't do it like that because, you know, you're dealing with people's lives. This is important. You, You wouldn't just do it like that. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with people's souls, okay? We're we're dealing with things of eternity, all right? This matters more. And so we've got to learn on mission. We, we, We must take seriously our responsibility to produce equipped disciple makers who go into the everyday stuff of life, wherever people live, work, study, and play, and make disciples and we do that by being on mission with people actually living not just instructing hey here's what you do now go go at it and we can meet back and debrief a week from now we do it together it's one of the reasons why as best we can at central we try to structure uh as much ministry as possible like not in the building but to just be out in the communities, why we do stuff like Central Cares, and we love our city. It's why we uh, take the youth group to the park. Why we do VBS in the park. It's uh, it's it's why we do neighborhood barbecues and a whole host of other things. Why? Because we want to learn together what it looks like to live on mission. Because when you live on mission, what happens? Well, you realize your desperate need for Jesus. You realize, you know. And the easy stuff, when it's here and it's just among family, and you know, this is kind of like the practice field, really, the church building. It's like the practice field where you learn your spiritual gifts. It's there in the real stuff of life where, the, where they come out. But in the practice field, it's easy, right? People are nice. People are kind. They smile. They're thankful for everything you do. That's great. And it's a great learning environment. But it's out in the real stuff of life where you live, work, study, and play. That it's not always like that where sometimes people don't like what you're saying. Sometimes things don't go according to plan. Things get messy, things get difficult. And so it gets hard. And it's in those experiences where when you're doing it together, people are taking you back to who Jesus is and submitting, okay, these concerns to Christ. In, In the mission fields, people get frustrated. People get upset. I remember taking a team to rural Montana and uh, people, they went, they went off into their host homes. This one host family took in a group, small group, maybe uh, four or five girls, and they're in there, and they're, they're showing them to their room and where they're going to stay for the night, and there's like sleeping bags on the ground, and they have a dog in this house, and the, the dog like runs over and uses the bathroom right on the sleeping bag where one of the girls is supposed to sleep. And the dad goes, and he takes a towel, and he lays it, on top of the sleeping bag. He says, all right, well, good night. I hope y'all sleep well and left And and then what are they, they're like, kind of looking at each other. Like, is this for real? Like, this is the first night of the trip, you know, like, is this for real? Like, what, what are we going to do right now? Like, I don't want to really want to sleep on that. And so they huddle together and they figure things out. You know, they don't use that, but they get together and they make it work and they're praying and they're desperate, like, Jesus, yeah, All right, can I really do this? Am I up for this? This is like hard. This is way harder than I thought, you know? And I mean, I had to have some conversations later, and we changed things around for sanitary reasons. But you understand, you you just, you get put in places that you just can't expect. Uh, On a different trip in rural Montana, we're out, we're camping out by a, a lake in the middle of nowhere, it becomes night, and if you've been in Montana at nighttime, you know how incredibly dark it is, okay? It's called Big Sky Country for a reason. The stars are beautiful, and we're out there, and it has gotten dark, and there's a portion of our team that hasn't shown up yet, and we're wondering, do they know how to get here? And everybody's concerned, and we're trying to call them. There's no cell coverage out there. You can't, you can't get a hold of anybody, and you know, we don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, like, should have been our first reaction, right? But somebody says, hey, Steve, don't you think we should pray? Like, that's a good idea. You know, it's a really good idea. So we gather together, and the, the team begins to pray. And then right as we're praying, what happens? We see the headlights, and they show up. And it's things like that. And it's seeing uh, students and adults, not just students. It was adults, probably more than even the students, who come and say, Steve, I never imagined that I could do this. And here I am. God is using me. It's incredible. And by the way, you know, Brian's doing a phenomenal job with our team, I'm, you know, and I love it. You guys sit in the front row, you bring energy, you're excited, it's, it's so cool. But it's not just about the excitement, right? It's about, hey, I want to be, be people of impact. And so he's equipping you to go and to, and to serve and to do things and to do mission. And I was telling Brian this week as we were having a conversation uh, that earlier this year, I was able to meet with a lot of my former students. And, you know, we got together and we were having dinner together and playing some games and stuff. And uh, all my former students now, they're, they're all like married and they have kids. I felt like really old in that meeting. Like, well, what? You guys are still supposed to be. But anyway, and, and so we're talking and I at some point I just asked them, hey, when you think about like youth ministry in our times together, what stands out the most? Like what, what was the best part of it? And I was really disappointed because none of them said, Steve, man, it was that sermon that you gave in the church building that one day. Man, it was so good. Like that is just, that was the highlight. None of them said that. None of them said, oh, that one program that you had going on for us. And you know, that was so good. That, That study that you put together. Oh man, it was great. None of them said that. Not one. You know what they all said? Mission. It was the mission. It was going to Montana and it was doing these things. And it was, It was dogs just going to the bathroom on your sleeping bag and things like that, where where Jesus just shows up. You're like, I I know, I could not have gone through that with a good attitude if if Jesus wasn't there. If I didn't have other people around me calling me back, reminding me of just life submitted to Jesus. That's the stuff they remember. That's the stuff of impact. By the way, any disciple would say that. That's the response of every disciple. Disciple, oh, it's when I was on mission and Jesus showed up. And I never thought, and then He did, right? That—that's what disciples say. You know what religious people say? Man, that conference. The conference was so good. We had a speaker coming. It was great. Listen, we want good conferences. I hope everything that's ever preached from this stage is done with excellence, where the lordship of Jesus Christ is magnified and his word is made clear. and We understand what he's saying so that we know who he is, what he's done, who we are, and what we're to do. I hope that gets demonstrated every time someone steps on this stage and preaches. But Listen the stuff that makes the impact, the stuff that you'll look back on and say, oh man, that was the highlight, that was it. It's the stuff of mission. It's not the conferences, it's not the meetings, it's not the sermons. That's all equipping, don't you see? That's all the equipping, that's all the getting ready, that's all the preparation. But no athlete ever says, oh man, you know the best thing about being uh, playing for the Yankees was all those practices. You know, I just love going to the batting cage and just like, man, I could really crank the ball in the batting cage. You know, I hit so many home runs during batting practice. No one ever says that. What do they talk about? The World Series that they won. I mean, that's what they talk about. Man, we won all these championships. We were in the game. We were playing. And we were with the guys. And oh, man, that comeback in the ninth inning when we thought for sure we were toast. And then all of a sudden, the guy hits a home run, whatever. Like, that's what you talk about. That's what you remember. It's the same thing in the church, you understand. It's the exact same thing. It's the stuff of mission. Everyday discipleship requires life on mission. And by the way, that's exactly what you see in the early church. The early church, they understand who Jesus is. Okay, he is Lord in Christ. I've been, I've repented. I've been baptized. The Holy Spirit's empowering. And what are they doing? We're in community. And now we're on mission. And every day, they're adding to their number, those who are being saved. I mean, can you imagine for a moment that Peter's preaching this sermon and they interrupt him? Say, Peter, we believe, okay, we believe the Lord in Christ. What do we do, what do we do, what do we do? And Peter says, okay, here's what you can do. Why don't you go out and invite some people to come back next week so that they can hear too. And I'll, I'll just preach basically the same message all over again and we'll see who gets saved next week, it'll be great. Just go out and invite more people to come back and we'll do the same thing next week. Can you imagine how deflating that would be? Like, no, Jesus is Lord of all. He's the Christ. He affects all of life. And you want me to go out and, like, deliver invitation cards so that people can come back and actually hear the same thing week after week after week after week? No, Peter doesn't do that. He equips them. No, you turn from living to yourself. Now you live for God, which is essentially on mission for others, and you let people know that you be every day disciple makers. So daily, the church grew. I mean, what it, you know how depressed they would be? Like, oh man, we went like today. <laughs> the church in America, we we can go like a month. Oh man, the ch- church didn't really grow much this month. It's kind of it's kind of disappointing. You imagine the birth of the church? They're probably. Oh man, we had a day and no one, no one came? We, we had a day and we didn't grow. There weren't more disciples made like yesterday. Like what? We got to reassess here. Understand, I'm so excited that we are alive now because I believe this is an exciting time in life and ministry of the church, especially in America, because a few centuries ago, you had the, the first reformation, which essentially gave the Bible back to the people. I believe that we are living right now during a. T- of the second reformation when the ministry is being given back to the people. And people are beginning to understand it is no longer the priesthood of the pastor. It has always been the priesthood of the believer, that God equips his people for everyday discipleship. And so I I, I think this is incredibly exciting what's happening. So what what do you see at the birth of the church? Just reverse it again. You see life on life where Jesus is recognized as Lord in Christ and people repent and they're baptized in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers them. The life of Christ is coming to bear on their lives. It's life on life. But it's not simply that. It's also life in community where they're gathering together daily, meeting in people's homes. They're studying together the, the apostles' teaching. They're, they're eating together. They're praying together. They're celebrating communion together. It's all together. It's life in community. And then what else is happening? Well, now they're going out and every day they're 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 uh, ministering and daily the church is growing. It's life on mission. Understand, every day discipleship requires life, life in community, life on one day, when Jesus comes again for his church, you know what will happen? All church, we see that Jesus is worshiping all worship and all creation will worship him. And we who are there, we will now be fully, fully conformed into the image of Jesus. We'll be changed perfectly at that point. And then talk about uh, in his ministry. Committed to his ministry, we will all take our crowns and we'll throw them at his feet. We say, We're living for you. It's all about you, your fame, your glory, your agenda. His mission will be everything. Now we get a glimpse, right? We're still in process, it will all be perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. And you're a disciple-making God. You're a God who doesn't just sit in faraway places and look down, but you're a God who approaches and comes near and who calls out a people for himself. So you do disciple-making work. You initiate into the lives of your creation. And God, so you've called us to bear your image, to be disciple-makers. This is who we are. This is our identity. God, may it also be our practice. May we not just be disciple makers in name only, but may may we be equipped disciple makers who make impact in the lives of people wherever it is we live, work, study, and play. We recognize your desperate need, our desperate need for this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.